Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, well, we last week began a series in Daniel, and today we're going to continue with a message entitled, Faith That Stands Will Endure. Faith That Stands Will Endure. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 21. And as we begin this morning, I want to ask you a question. What does it look like to take a stand by faith? What does it look like to take a stand by faith? I think so often when we think about this, we, we typically, our mind almost immediately goes to large platform, to worldwide audience, to a, you know maybe a cause that's represented in the world or whatever it is. And, and yes, that is true. That's definitely part of it, but that's not the only part. And maybe today in all of this message, I'm making the argument it's not even the first part of it or the most important part of it. Taking a stand by faith that will endure, I propose to you today is a matter of faithfulness in the first priorities of life, of the everyday aspects of life. And that's what we see in the life of Daniel in the remainder of chapter one. Let me go to verse eight and read verses eight through 21, and then we'll continue with the message. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king." Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of our youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Daniel made a decision. 
In the Bible, Babylon is a historical kingdom, but it ultimately comes to be known for a much larger and broader reality to represent the kingdom of darkness in the world universally. And so what we're seeing today is this historical king kingdom rising that will come with far greater implication and understanding than only the day and time in which that kingdom existed. Daniel had been taken by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, in the first part of this chapter and relocated to the heart of darkness. Now, don't miss the irony of this new location. Verse 2 tells us they were taken to the land of Shinar. This was now the center of world power as Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is taking over the world. But more than just the king of the world, he believes he is God. And he has headquartered his kingdom of Babylon at the same location, whereas in Genesis chapter 11, God frustrated the efforts of man to make themselves God the first time. Been there, done that. Nobody got a t-shirt for it. That's what's going on here. The story of the Tower of Babel, if you remember that record. And in the heart of darkness... They decreed to brainwash these young men. They changed their names to force and impose a Babylonian identity on them. And they stripped them of every element of human dignity because they were trying to shift their loyalties to Babylon. And this is all very important for us to understand contextually as we approach today's passage. Because with all of that in mind, when we come to verse 8, how does it begin? But Daniel resolved in his heart that he would not defile himself. He resolved that he would not defile himself. Of all the monumental changes that had occurred in Daniel's life, that had been imposed upon him, not by his own desire, but against his own desire, had been imposed upon him, Daniel did not allow all that had happened to distract him from serving the Lord with his life. You see, friends, maybe the first three words of verse eight teach us this, that you will never be able to control what people do to you, but you are always responsible for whether or not you honor the Lord with the life that you have. And that's what Daniel tells us in the first three words when it says, Daniel resolved He resolved to honor the Lord with his whole life. Lord, this is the life that you have given to me. The Apostle Paul teaches this in multiple places in the New Testament as well. But this is the life that you have given to me. This is the life that I am going to honor you with and honor you through. His resolve directed him to take every measure possible to bear a faithful witness for the Lord. So what does he do? The second half of verse 8 tells us, therefore he Ask. Now, this is one of those preacher jokes that we have to sign off on in seminary. Yes, we promise we will use this joke every time this word comes up. And it's really just to test your perseverance and our lack of humor. But when the word therefore comes into the text, what are you supposed to do but stop and see what it's therefore? Now that we've gotten that out of the way and we all understand 
When it tells us, therefore, he asked. It's very easy for us to consider that that's a small thing, inconsequential, you might say, to what's going on. But the fact of the matter is, the reason he asked is because he had resolved. Do you see that? This isn't just inconsequential to the story. It's telling us what took place in his heart determined what would take place with his life and the way he lived. When confronted with what Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, wanted to make of his life, Daniel made sure his life honored his true king, the Lord Almighty. Now, we don't know exactly why he asked for different food and drink. Uh, most scholars will tell you it was not due to health concerns of that day. It, it was not even due to idolatry because in the land of Babylon, all food was food sacrificed to idols before it was consumed. So they would have had to go on, on a permanent fast in order for that to be the case. So we know it was not even a spiritual reason in that specific or religious practice in that specific reason but we're simply left to deduce this, that because a different diet was the only way that Daniel could think of that he could honor his God because Nebuchadnezzar had declared a specific diet to be fed to them. You see, more is going on here than just food and drink. And while it may not seem monumental to us, for Daniel it was strategic. It reveals his faith and God, you see, the first way to honor the Lord with your whole life is to, to seek him in the little daily things every day. Of greater consequence is not how you live when someday possibly maybe you are given a great platform for your life. But that platform will only serve to prove what you really did in the small everyday little matters of faithfulness to the Lord. And that's what Daniel's teaching us here, friends. It, it was the small daily things that he was giving himself to so that when the opportunity to honor the Lord and the big things arose, he was ready. He was ready. Here's what I want you to see today. God's grace empowers his people to stand and endure when we live to honor him by faith. God's grace empowers us to stand and to endure when we live to honor him by faith. I want us to see five lessons of faith today in order for us to stand and endure as we walk through the text. And here's the first lesson I want us to see from verse eight. Faith acts to move God to work. Faith acts to move God to work. Daniel resolved in his heart because he believed God. He understood what Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us. Without faith, it is what? It is impossible to please God. We don't only kind of please God or mostly please God or not please God. It is impossible to please God without faith. And friends, faith is not only a matter of the heart. The heart is the soil of the root, but the whole life, bears the fruit. What Daniel knew to be true in his heart meant he had to act on that belief. You see, a resolve to honor the Lord understands this. Faith always manifests in action to see God work. He resolved, therefore he asked. Let's go to verse nine. 
The next verse records the way it is that God was working because as Daniel is writing this record, for people who will read it later like you and I, he wants us to understand what he came to know and learn about God. Verse 9 says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God gave Daniel favor and compassion. These words are very important because they indicate for us how God works. How God works. That first word for favor is the Hebrew word hesed, which is the word in the Old Testament for covenant love. So this word is used repeatedly throughout the Old Testament for God working in behalf of his people because of his commitment to them in his covenant. What we would understand is salvation. And in the book of Ruth, we see this word used for the way God worked through Boaz to save Ruth. And to give her what she didn't have on her own. That's what Daniel is saying here, that God in his covenant love, like God's not forgotten his promise. It might seem like God's forgotten his promise, but God has not forgotten his promise. And then it says he not only had favor, but he had compassion. Sympathy for another person's plight is what you might understand here. You say, well, why is that important? Because the chief of the eunuchs and the steward that serves him were charged with commands from Nebuchadnezzar, not only the king of Babylon, but a man who thought he was God. And we will see that by their own words, if they don't do what he's commanded, It'll cost them their life. But what it tells us in these verses right here is the chief of the eunuchs had pity on Daniel. Why? Because God was not only working in Daniel's life, God was working for Daniel by working in the hearts and lives of others. And he gave him compassion on Daniel in his answer. You see, God's not only working in Daniel, he's working for Daniel, but hear me, friends, more importantly, he's working through Daniel to bring about his purpose and his will. What Daniel knew in his heart, he records for us to know as his testimony of how the Lord was working. The chief eunuch had pity on Daniel, but he refused his request. So close, and yet so far, it seems like. He refused his request. Why? Because he fears for his life. And, and maybe for some of us, that's a point at which in our own life, we, we feel like we've been faithful to God and we've made the ask, but the no is the first thing that comes back to us. A, a very interesting situation begins to arise here that could cause us to think, did God really work? If God showed compassion and favor on Daniel in the eyes of the chief eunuch, but the chief eunuch said, no, is God really at work? But by his answer to Daniel, we learn something here. There, there is a contrast of powers that immediately arises at the end of verse 10 by the chief eunuch's response that creates for us a tension in the storyline. Wait, God is working, but the evil one, the kingdom of darkness is pushing back. They said, no. What's Daniel going to do here? There are two kingdoms that are presented in the whole storyline here that's setting the trajectory for the whole book. There is the kingdom of light and eternal life, and there is the kingdom of darkness. There is the kingdom of honor and trust from the Lord, and there is the kingdom of fear of man 
in what is transpiring. In these two kingdoms that are contrasting each other, there are two loyalties that are facing off. Daniel, who is resolved in his heart because of the love of God and what God has done in his life, he's resolved with his whole life to honor God. But there is the other loyalty who is loyal to Nebuchadnezzar who says this, why should I endanger my head with the king? It's a kingdom of fear. It's a kingdom of fear for self-preservation. And so we see at the end of verse 10, this contrast where we have to ask, whose way will be best? Which kingdom will win? Which king's strategy will come out on top? You see, friends, the chief eunuch may not have granted Daniel's request, but this is true. He was now fully aware of Daniel's loyalty. He knew where Daniel's faith rested and that was to honor his God and Daniel didn't let one no stop him instead he makes the request to the steward the chief eunuch said no so Daniel immediately in verse 11 moves to the chief or to the steward of the chief eunuch and here's the second lesson I want you to see from this today faith persists faith persists in righteousness in the face of opposition and disappointment you see, we may not think much about this lesson, but it's surely one of the most important. Many people give up and stop at the first hint of opposition or disappointment or frustration in trying to serve the Lord, especially spiritually. We conclude in our own heart and mind, well, I tried, but God must not be in this. I, I, I made an action, but this must not be the right thing to do because opposition arose or disappointment came. I didn't get the answer that I thought I was gonna get or wanted to get. But you see, friends, a readiness to give up, particularly at the first no, but a readiness to give up at any point in serving to honor the Lord likely reveals a lack of faith more than a failed attempt at faith. It reveals a using of God for personal means rather than a seeking to honor God above all. And as is very often the case, it just simply reveals an unwillingness of personal sacrifice in serving God. I, I think this is something that every Christian in North America today must give significant bandwidth of emotional, intellectual, and spiritual energy to. It is so easy to be called a Christian today that any hint of opposition can feel like God has forgotten us. You see, sometimes, yea, more often than not, a no is God's way of preparing you, not forgetting you. Friends, listen to me. The enemy works to thwart and to frustrate, but faith persists because God is worthy of the honor of our life. And especially he is worthy of that honor before those who do not know him, who need someone to bear a faithful witness. Imagine for a moment if Daniel had taken this first no in a frustrating way, then he would have been in the, in the chambers of the chief eunuch's lead men. He would have just been the scorn and the butt of the jokes. Oh, he thought he had a better way, but we shot him down. We told him no, right? 
And, and, and if he had said, hey, let me do something different, they went, no. And he went, okay, I'm out. Then, then they would have thought, well, whatever motivated him to make that request wasn't significant enough for a simple no to overcome. It must not have been much at all. They wouldn't have seen that this man will move in a moment to risk his whole life and the life of his friends in order to bear honor and faithful witness to the Lord. Verse 12 through 16, when Daniel goes to the steward, he likely expects another no. I mean, after you hear one no, you can hear 400 yeses and one no. And you know what you remember? The sting of the no right? This time he lays out a plan to the steward. I, I believe what Daniel's doing here is, is he's gained a little bit of perspective of how the chief eunuch and now the steward who is under him, he's gained a perspective about how they're thinking about things. He has a little more understanding, not just of their operations, but of their whole worldview. He's understanding how Babylon works. He's understanding how they value things and what it is that they want to see accomplished in the test that they're putting these young men under. And he's using that to take what he knows about our God and the resolve of God in his heart to apply it in his approach. And so he asks again, but this time he brings a plan. He brings a plan that mitigates the steward's risk. If fear of King Nebuchadnezzar is their highest value, if I can do something to mitigate that fear initially, then maybe I can find a point at which I can persuade them ultimately. This is called apologetics. This time he lays out a plan to mitigate the steward's risk. He proposes a 10-day test of water and vegetables for he and his three friends instead of the king's food. Just take us and just give it to us and then give everyone else what your king wants. Likely, again, I say it, it wasn't so much about the food defiling them as much as I believe accepting the ways of the Babylonian world Daniel knew would be a defilement of his heart. And that mattered more than just the actions of his body. And that's why he started with what they could see in his plan. And he, he, he knew that, that a different diet, because that was the strategy that the Babylonians had enforced upon them, if he could make a difference there, that would be enough to cause them to see that there was some difference. And they would have to know where, in fact, that difference came from, because if these four looked better than all the others, there was only four that were doing a different plan than what Nebuchadnezzar had advised. Again, we can say this for sure. We don't know exactly, but we do know this. Daniel was making sure that the Lord was honored in his life. And that's the point of the passage. At the end of 10 days, the steward himself would get to decide who looked better. So what can hurt? We're under a 1,095-day period of training, of education, of, of philosophical intrusion, of all of these things, a full cultural inoculation in Babylon and her kingdom and her ways. What possibly could 10 days of a different diet hurt? Right? 
I mean, that's less than 1% of the total time that they will give to Nebuchadnezzar's test. And so the steward listens and he agrees. Okay, if you're gonna let me make the indecision and you'll agree to it, then that's what we'll do. At the end, it tells us the appearance was so strikingly different that the steward not just, did not just acknowledge it, but he recognized that it was so distinctively better, he changed the diet for all of them. No more wine and cheese days, boys. Your mimosas are gone. It's water and vegetables for everybody. You see, friends, Daniel never questioned whether God would be faithful. He asked a question because he was aiming to discern how it was he could honor the Lord. And that brings us to our third lesson of faith today. Faith tests to discern God's will and way. Faith tests to discern God's will and God's way. You see, Daniel puts God on the hook to show up and to work. That's faith, friends. When you go all in with your life and you say to God, God, if you don't work, I'll be ruined. If you don't work, I'll be the butt of every joke. If you don't work, my reputation will be ruined. But you say none of those things are worth me saying no because your honor is worth it all. And he goes all in. Daniel would not only lose if God didn't work, he and his friends would be shamed in everyone's eyes. But he knew his reputation was worth the risk because he was serving to honor God's name among the nations. It felt hard, but the only reason it felt hard is because he was in a foreign place where everybody else felt differently about it. But through Daniel's test, the steward who served the chief eunuch, who was the right-hand man of the king, would see God's work. He would see that those four were better than all the others and in only a very short amount of time. You see, friends, here's the key. Daniel didn't need to see anything. He believed. Daniel didn't need to see anything because he had faith. And that's the difference of our God. Sight is not why we believe in God. For when we put a demand or we have a need to see, to believe, friends, that's for the unbeliever. That's not the way the Christian life works. Because we've already said, and we will say many times more in this series, the righteous live by faith. And the definition of faith in Hebrews 11 is what? Sight unseen. It's not that we don't see. It's that we don't have the sight of it in the physical realm. What we see is the one who made the promise. What we see is the one who is working in our behalf. What we see is not with our eyes, it's with our heart. Where we know, where we know. That's what faith is all about. When you know the Lord, you don't need to see. You don't demand a sign to believe. You trust and obey because you believe. 
Don't you see throughout the New Testament? That, that's, that's what Jesus said the, the Jews were neglecting and, and, and dismissing and rejecting him over because they always demanded a sign. They'd show up in the crowds and, and they would say, man, do that thing you do again. We love that. Oh, Bunch of seals. Turn the water to wine again, Jesus, do it. Make that man walk again. Take the, take the pain out of his leg or, or, but you know, open his eyes so he can see. Would that be possible? It was all a trick show to them. It was entertainment. They were showing up and their hearts were tantalized, but they were not resolved because they didn't believe. Because when they stopped seeing, the show was over. The show was over. You see why I think this is so important for the North American church today? Because the show's still going on right now. Daniel knew what God wanted. God wanted a faithful witness to honor his name among the nations. But he didn't know exactly how God would do that. So he tested to discern God's will. Let me draw a contrast that I think will clarify this for you. Because someone might ask, but isn't testing God wrong? Yes, friends, testing God is an act of treason and unbelief. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter four, verse seven, when he cites Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 16. But testing to discern God's will is always an act of faith that honors God. As a matter of fact, Romans 12, two teaches us this is the very purpose for the renewal of our mind by the truth of God's word is to be able to what? Test and discern God's will, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. You see, so often we think about bearing a faithful witness for the Lord or honoring his name with our life. We think we have to have all the answers up front, perfectly executed and articulated in everything, or we make an embarrassment of God. God's not thinking that way at all about it. All God says is, will you believe me and trust to obey? Will you be an instrument of my work in the world and let your life, the honor and the reputation of your name be used for the glory of mine? That's what Daniel understood and knew. You see, the difference between testing God and testing to discern God's will is simply this. It's the motive of the heart. Is it faith or is it unbelief? Let me ask you this. When was the last time you faced a really hard decision to honor the Lord? In a situation or circumstance, maybe a relationship of your life, maybe a decision you're trying to make, we seldom make decisions like this quickly and almost never in a moment. Usually through seasons of hardship and seasons of challenge and pushback and those kinds of things. Hard decisions, they have a way of causing us to look back on life, to remember principles that we've learned or things that we learned we didn't wanna do. Those are also applicable at times like this. And, and then we begin to apply them for that final decision. And what happens is when we bring the filter of that decision together, the question that we have to ask is, what is it that we value so much 
much that it gets to be included in the final decision-making process? Is it the truth of God's word? Is it the lessons we've learned that he is faithful to us that we will say, yes, we will stand to what we know or what we know he wants us to do here? Or is it a deflection to go, you know, God, I think this will be better for this moment and then, and then I'll return to honoring you immediately after? No, friends, when we test to discern God's will, we determine what is his good will and what is good according to the word, but it's what comes from the hand of the Father above. He is the only giver of every good and perfect gift. We ask God, what is pleasing to you? And God hasn't left this in the gray area. It's black and white, friends. We don't have to ask God what is pleasing to us. He has told us what is pleasing to him. Does it accord with his will as revealed in his word? Or have you found some kind of loophole to dance around that with? It's good. His will is pleasing to his word. His will is perfect. Is it righteousness in you? Is it righteousness for you? In other words, when I ask that, I'm asking, will your life be made more to look like Jesus because of that decision than it looks like you right now? God invites us to live by faith to test, to discern his will so that his name is honored with our life. And friends, never, so I want to encourage you with this today, never underestimate God's power to use your faith in testing to discern his will in front of a watching world as a faithful witness to that world. You see, so often we think we've got to run and hide until we get the right answer and then we'll come relay it. No, no. The world wants to see what we're doing in the secret before that heart is resolved. How it is that we came to the place of that. And God wants to show the world that though we are a weak and frail vessel, in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. So that when we see what, when they see what he does in us, it is his name that is glorified and not ours. Daniel's test, friends, listen to this, was as much a discernment of God's will for him as it was a demonstration of God's power for the steward. I don't think Daniel went to the steward and asked a second time, give us a different menu because he was fully confident that that menu was gonna make everything right. It's just the only way he saw to honor the Lord in that situation and in that moment. And what God did in that simple act of faith was far greater than Daniel ever conceived or dared to think. Why? Because that's the way God works. That's who our God is. You see, a resolve to serve God does not mean the path will be easy. As a matter of fact, this will be Daniel and his three friends' easiest test, but there will be plenty more to come. Verse 17 begins, the last five verses of the chapter kind of give a summary of what transpires here. It says, once they were found to be better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. That was the outcome of that. 
Verse 17 kind of gives a refrain for the way things would be seen moving forward in the Babylonian kingdom for Daniel and his friends. And it tells us that God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel, he gave understanding in all visions and dreams. That one's going to be really important before we get done here. He gave them all that they needed to excel in every test that they would face from the Babylonian education. You see, when the time came for them to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar, and that's where we're dialing in, the end of the three years, at the end of time, verse 18, when the king commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And let me tell you something, friends. I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar knew anything about the change of dietary plan. He had to because he was the one who was dispersing the resources to make it happen. But whatever he had been told to allow it, or if he didn't know, there were two men that walked in that day thinking differently about what was about to happen than from the first day this all started. And that was the chief of the eunuchs and the steward who had seen the difference that it made. And they likely went, man, I didn't know the food could make that big of a difference. And what they began to learn is it wasn't the food at all. It was the father. When the time came to stand before Nebuchadnezzar, The scripture records right here in verse 19. They did not just stand. It says they stood out. They stood out. And they were found not only better than their class. Look at this. Better than their class? No. Better. Ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. All of them. You see, the king's estimation of how much better they were is for us not merely a calculation of exactness. In other words, when when you looked at all the test scores of Daniel and his buddies and the guys who were being tested on that, uh, it wasn't uh, at a zero. They got 10 times, but that's not the point of the text here. The point of the text here is to simply say that it wasn't merely a calculation of how they outperformed the others. It was rather an immeasurable declaration of how God had blessed them because of his favor and compassion that he had given to them. There's a testimony right there, friends, of how it is that God works. And that's our fourth lesson I want you to see today is that faith perseveres to endure by God's strength for his glory. Faith perseveres through uh, whatever comes in order to endure by God's strength for his glory. Daniel and his friends could have been satisfied with the first victory, but that was not their end goal. Once they discerned how it was that God was using them, now it was clear to them how it was they were to proceed. For the victory from the first test confirmed that God would use them in even greater ways in Babylon. And God's favor paid off in really big ways. You see, friends, faith always takes today's discernment and victory to use it as a foundation for tomorrow's strength and perseverance. Always. I fear too often today, we take today's trophy spiritually and we use it for tomorrow's entitlement to try and use it to get out of something for God instead of being used by God again in greater ways. Every day, I don't think, is designed as a 
test per se in this way, whether or not we'll trust and obey God in the biggest stage you could imagine in your own life. But here's what I do believe, that most days the simple test of our life is this, will we remain faithful in what we already know of the God we claim to serve and love? Studies have come out now for 15 or more years about the biblical illiteracy of the church. People just don't understand some of the most basic Christian theology and faith doctrines that define our faith. And part of maturity in Christianity that we've also talked about is not just knowing the Bible, but it's that growth gap between what you know and what you obey. And you see, for a Christian, maturing means that we close the gap. That everything we know, we trust to obey. That's where the Lord is leading us. And that's the biggest test of our life. Today, today is not for you to be anxious about what God may put in front of you tomorrow, but will you trust him for what he's speaking to you about today, today? Faith does lead to persevere in God's strength daily, knowing that greater tests will come. Perseveres through trials and tests to endure by God's strength so that every measure of success is given to serve his glory and his glory alone. What this first chapter provides for us is an intro to the whole book, the whole message of Daniel. Daniel will face tests time and time again throughout this. He discerned God's will through a test in the beginning, but God would lead him into many and much harder tests the remainder of his life. And in every test, Daniel undoubtedly remembered that first victory and the way that God worked in his life. Why? Because he gave him favor and compassion, wisdom and a strong spirit. And Daniel, the very resolved with which he began, he never wavered from. This is the way that my life will honor the Lord. And look at verse 21, how the chapter concludes. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is sweet, friends, really sweet. Here's lesson five. Faith always receives God's reward. Faith always receives God's reward. God honored Daniel by outlasting Nebuchadnezzar. I saw recently where Survivor, that popular reality show, is like in its 46th or 47th season. Oh my goodness. I mean, that, that's amazing. It's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's some kind of record. I don't know what it is. But if I ask you, most people know what Survivor is now if you've watched any measure of TV and it has a three-word kind of catchphrase that it used, outwit, outplay, outlast. You want to put those words in Christian terminology to understand the Christian life? You could say wisdom, execution, perseverance, or wisdom, faithfulness, perseverance. You see, the Babylonians overcame Daniel at the beginning of chapter one. But Daniel, in the midst of this situation where every tentacle of security and stability were removed from him, he looked to the Lord and outwisdomed them, outpersevered them, and here it tells us he outlasted them. 
Friends, nobody is a better survivor than our eternal God. For the one who always was, is, and forevermore shall be is the one who will outlast. And when I think of Daniel, I can't help but be reminded of the promise of Ephesians 6.13 that tells us, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to what? To stand firm. When the Assyrians moved in and conquered the Babylonians, you know who was still standing? Daniel. You know why? Because of God. That's why. He took a stand to honor his Lord, and the Lord showed up and showed up or showed out to honor him, so that when earthly kings fell, Daniel still stood. And I say to us this morning, this is not unique to Daniel. We do not study this to go, man, he's a great guy. I I hope to get to know him one day when I get to heaven. No, friends, what I'm saying is that this is distinct of how God works. Three times it tells us in chapter one, God gave. The first one's not a good one. God gave Judah into the hands of the Babylonians. Why? For judgment. We've already talked about that. But the Bible also tells us that God subjected all creation so that in its subjection there would be a hope for freedom that would come, Romans 8. And in the midst of that, it tells us that in sin we are enslaved and we are separated from God, but God by his great grace and mercy that is greater than sin has come to us and it tells us that he also gave for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God gives to those who trust. Have you trusted him to receive the life that only he can give? If you're a Christian here today, you know this as well. God doesn't stop giving at salvation. It's a life of the source being continually on. James 1, 5 tells us that if we don't know how or what or when or where any of that, all we have to do is ask. And God gives, he doesn't just give, he gives generously wisdom to all who seek him. Christian, are you searching somewhere other than the eternal source of God's wisdom for what you're facing today? Trust him, look to him, let's pray.